There's a, a real basic knowledge that people should have that unfortunately we don't get it in school. Um, you would think that taxes, something that you have to do every year, would be uh, really explained at a greater level um, so that people understand uh, what it all is about. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Todd Roselle. Todd is the president and founder of Blue Rock Financial Group, a fee-based financial planning practice that focuses on assisting individuals and business owners make educated decisions around their finances on an ongoing basis. Todd is also an avid exerciser and somebody that takes his fitness very seriously. And we talk about the importance of being able to retire not only with plenty of money in the bank to be able to travel and live the life that you want, but also a body that is still functionally capable and able to do the things that you want to be able to do at any age for that matter. I had a wonderful time talking with Todd because we do have so much in common, both being business owners and fitness enthusiasts, and I know you're going to love this conversation. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Todd Roselle. What's up, buddy? Welcome to the show. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, yeah, it's good having you. I mean, this is like this is like the sweet spot for me. It's like 11.30 a.m. It's like I got my, my workout in. I got my food in. I got my coffee in. This is perfect. <laughs> nice. I don't want to be the after lunch lull for anybody, so this is good. Yeah, you're actually the, the first of a second podcast today, so hopefully you, you give me enough energy that I can carry it over into the second <laughs> podcast, so I'm counting nice. on you. All right, I'll do my best. All right. Well, hey, let's um, you know, get some introductions out of the way and, and kind of let the audience know who you are and what you do. So um, you're the, the president and founder of the Blue Rock Financial Group. Um, can you yes. tell the audience a little bit about exactly what that is? Yeah, so Blue Rock is a uh, financial planning uh, firm that was really born out of wanting to lead with advice. So you know, everybody knows somebody that has something to do with money, but nobody ever really truly knows what you're going to get until you talk to that person about what they do and the recommendations they give and so forth. Um, at Blue Rock, our goal is not to really try to sell anything as much as it is to try to ensure that people get the right advice at the right time uh, for their specific and unique situation and then provide more value uh, in terms of what we create than what we charge. So simple, simple terms. Um, but, you know, it's it's an industry that's evolved uh, the financial industry over many, many years, it started out as, you know, a stockbroker type of an industry where you could buy stocks on an exchange. And then uh, it kind of merged with the insurance industry at one point. So, you know, it used to be stocks or life insurance. And then as the financial world became more and more complicated, there was the addition of mutual funds and, and so forth. And then all of a sudden we realized, oh, well, you know what, if you do X, Y, or Z in the financial industry, it could negatively impact you from a tax perspective. So, you know, when you 
when you morph all of those areas together, um, you know, current financial position analysis, risk management, insurance, investment, tax management, state planning, retirement income planning, um, you have financial planning. So I'm a certified financial planner. Uh, we have eight folks on our team in total that focus mainly on ensuring that individuals are growing their wealth. And also we have a retirement plan division. So we help companies um, offer retirement plans, 401ks and so forth to their their uh, employees and staff. So, Very nice. Is this something yeah. that you always knew that you wanted to get involved in or how, how did you step uh, like stumble upon this? Yeah, I was in the, the telemarketing industry uh, back in the late 90s. So I comfortably had my teeth kicked in multiple times uh, on the phone and then eventually went over to newspapers in the early 2000s. Um, and I was in the marketing department of a, of a newspaper, the, the News Journal, which I'm sure we all have once heard of here in Delaware. Um, and I was there for about five years and realized that the writing was on the wall. I didn't see really newspapers becoming the place to grow a career for a, you know, 20 something uh, at that time. So I was looking for a change and, and happened to run into somebody who um, was in the financial advisory industry and, you know, always want to help people, um, had a fairly decent network here in Delaware. And, and I was told, hey, you know what, if you, you know, know a lot of people and, and you know, you can meet a lot of people and you can help people and, and this might be the thing for you. Um, and I've always been interested in how to efficiently use money. Um, so the timing was perfect and ended up getting into the industry in the early 2000s, 2005, I stepped in um, and have been doing it ever since. Started with a firm and then opened Blue Rock about 10 years ago. Was that a scary pivot for you? Like when, once you had that realization of like, okay, this direction's probably not going to pan out the way I had originally intended and you had to kind of do a 180 there. Um, you know, as you recall or look back on that, you know, was that, was that a tough <laughs> decision to make? Yeah, ironically enough, it was it was one of those things where it wasn't really tough at all. I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be um, challenging, but I was super excited for it. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I tend to operate the best when my back's against the wall. So failure is not an option. And, uh, you know, we made it work. Yeah, best I mean, move it, ever. I think once you get to the point where you just accept that problem solving is what you like to do and you're you 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 come to the conclusion that you want more problems to solve. I think, you know, <laughs> you, you stop becoming a complainer uh, and you start becoming a problem solver. And, you know, and that's, that's where you're like, okay, cool. This is just like, this is part of it, you know, and you, you stop losing the emotional tug of war battle with yourself every time another problem comes about. Yeah. I mean, it, it's life, you know, at the older you get, the more you realize that life is just a, a, a varying degree of struggle at different times. Sometimes there's little struggle. Sometimes there's a lot. And, uh, you know, the self-inflicted struggle, knowing that you're going to be able to get out of it and come out on the other side a little bit better was, was exciting to me. So, um, I've been doing it for 17, 18 years now, and, uh, it was the best decision I ever made. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, um, let's, let's dive into a little bit more of the deep end of what it is that you do. So, uh, what do you think are some of like the, the financial pitfalls or mistakes that you see that are common that people make? Um, interesting question. So, you know, in, in just about any world that someone's not fully versed, they tend to focus on what's sexy. So, you know, I can't tell you how many conversations I had uh, the past couple of years about, you know, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, you know, should I bought Tesla and, you know, things that, you know, really at the end of the day are more, um, you know, not fundamental in nature, but more um, speculative. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to build wealth off of speculation. And, you know, the the interesting part is that if most people simply just start with a savings plan, 
<laughs> it's a great place to start. Um, and, you know, people get, they get the budgeting thing a little bit backwards. They figure, oh, I spend all this and then I have this much to save. Uh, and if you kind of reverse engineer that and say, hey, I'm going to save this much and I have this much to spend, things tend to work out really, really well. They're really not complicated. And if you can manage to live within that, you know, range that you give yourself um, over long periods of time, you know, that's really where success comes from. It's, it's no different than, you know, I always say money and food, two things that people do every day. And probably the, the least educated part of our population reside right in those two areas. And it's things we do every day. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you, whenever I talk to financial advisors, like one of the terms that gets thrown around a lot is like diversification, right? And then, but yet you hear from some of the juggernauts, like diversification is just a hedge against ignorance. So for instance, like if you are a real estate guy, it's like, why not go all in on the thing that you're good at, right? If, if you are a cryptocurrency guy, why not go all in on the thing that you're good at? We, uh, we work with a lot of real estate investors and, you know, it's a great way to build wealth because you're building wealth through sweat equity. The only thing that you really need to realize is have a little bit of balance and don't go overboard as with anything, right? You know, don't go completely all in, leverage yourself to the, to the nines and, and leave yourself no outlet. So, you know, we kind of act as that, that buoy and that, um, you know, really voice of reason to say, Hey, here's a good balance for you. As you grow this real estate portfolio, keep doing what you do because you're going to make a ton of money doing it. You're really good at it. You know what you're doing, you know how to, you know, really come out the other side, but just make sure that you have balance. So, you know, all in is a good thing, but, but all in plus some is where I think the challenges tend to lie. Hence 2008 great recession and things along that line. Yeah. So would you say that within any industry or uh, financial strategy, there is a hierarchy of risk. So for instance, you can go all in on real estate, but there is a varying degree of risk depending on the choices that you make. Completely, completely. I mean, you know, there's some real estate investors that, you know, they manage their, their portfolio based on the number of properties they have, the amount of free cash flow they have. There's others that want to go in, um, rehab a house and then get out. And then it depends on kind of what your cash flow is overall to support those projects if everything comes to a screeching halt. So, you know, you've got to have good margins. You don't want to be over leveraged. So, and that's in the, in that real estate world, it, it applies everywhere, right? It applies in, in investing. It applies in, in a lot of other areas of our life too. You don't want to be, um, imbalanced. You always want to have a level of balance to what you're doing. And what level do you think is necessary for the average person to educate themselves about their finances? You know, like one of the things I talk with some of my mentors about is the importance of being able to develop a toolkit and understanding of your own personal finances and understanding some of the characteristics of your money and, and what matters to you in terms of your core values. Like, do you work with your clients on those sort of things? Uh, I mean, one of the first places to start is understand what you make, understand what the government takes and understand what you need. So those are three things that are going to happen if you have a job. So you should really understand how that works um, and understanding how your taxes work, understanding what you're paying the government based on what levels that you earn at. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a real basic knowledge that people should have that unfortunately we don't get it in school. Um, you would think that taxes, something that you have to do every year would be at, really explained at a greater level um, so that people understand uh, what it all is about. Um, you know, understanding what interest rates are, you know, what's a credit card, you know, what's the interest rate on the credit card? How does the interest rate on a mortgage work? You know, how does the interest rate on your car work? So, you know, what's a 30 year term versus a five year car loan? Like there's all these different things that at the basic level that almost every household is going to 
uh, really need to understand. It would be great to understand at that level. And then, you know, we've got a number of business owner clients too. That's a whole nother ball game because now you're running a business, which is its own entity, has its own structure and, and challenges and, and opportunities as well. So, you know, understanding who, who you are um, and what you need is really number one. Sure. Do you have CPAs as part of your group or is it all financial advising? Yeah, that's a great question. So at Blue Rock, we have CFP certified financial planners. Um, and then we also have a chartered financial analyst CFA. So that's someone who could really do investments in, a, in terms of a mutual fund and really run a mutual fund. Um, you know, in that regard, we don't have CPAs or accountants on staff here at Blue Rock. We tend to partner with outside accountants. Um, that are in their own firms, um, but we do a lot of tax planning here at Blue Rock. So mm. um, understanding what you should be doing throughout the year to ensure that when you go give your documents to your accountant for tax prep, that they are you know, in good order. Um, you know, Some accountants really focus on tax planning, um, and a lot of times we'll work in conjunction with them so that we know what they're doing, they know what we're doing, and together we're helping the client. Um, some accountants just focus on tax prep, so they don't really do planning. Um, just like some advisors don't focus on financial planning, they just focus on investments. So it's, it's you know, trying to partner up with the right people for our clients. Yeah, that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I got to ask a question for the people. Why are our taxes so damn confusing? <laughs> uh, the government's goal is to really uh, make sure that they are being compensated from the, the sources that they choose. Um, they choose most of the time to... Uh, have businesses pay a fair amount. Obviously, they also want to make individuals who make a lot of money pay more than those that don't make a lot of money. So, you know, taxes are are in terms uh, of a marginal bracket. So, you know, if you look and say, okay, I make X amount of dollars, then you try to figure out where you fall on that marginal scale. Um, the more you make, the higher percentage you pay uh, in the, the tax code. So, and then there's a whole bunch of things that, you know, come in, backdoor wise, and then, you know, disqualification for credits and things like that, which really boils down to the more you make, the more they take. Um, and you need to figure out depending on how you earn and, you know, where you want to earn in the future, what's the best place for you to earn money from? Uh, obviously, you got to have a lot of money or, or a fair amount of money to have those choices as opposed to just being through earned income. Um, but, you know, there are options out there as you diversify your income streams. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the correlations, I guess, that, that I was, I've seen and I wanted to kind of pick your brain on is it also seems as though there's this, you know, the, the more you make, the more you afford the opportunity to understand tax laws and structure mm -hmm. better, right? So yes, you're being taxed more, but you know, more strategic ways of getting around things. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, absolutely. Because application is one of the best methods to learn. And if you don't have anything to apply to, like if somebody just tells you, oh, here's what the rate is for X and you have no real basis of comparison to understand that it's going to be kind of pie in the sky. Um, once you live it and you, you're like, Oh wow, look at that. Um, that <laughs> then you see what they're taking and why they're taking it. Um, we try to be the catalyst to help people avoid pitfalls and, and, and give them that advice and knowledge before they actually experience a challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're exactly right. What are some of the day-to-day -day practical tips uh, that you give to some of your clients that come to you and they're like, hey, um, Todd, I just want to get like a better handle on my personal finance, finances and financial structure. What are some of the things that you kind of like give them as like the, the play, starting playbook? Yeah, number one is understanding that 
you really need to get the right advice at the right time. So, you know, the advice that we were giving five years ago was relative to the market that we were in at that point. Um, the advice that we give today is a little bit different than that. Um, interest rates are way up. Uh, it's more difficult to buy a home now because prices haven't come down yet. So you would be paying a larger uh, portion of your mortgage payment toward interest, which means now that your monthly cost would be higher. Um, five years ago, cash was paying nothing. Now you can get a decent rate of return on your cash. So all these things are applicable relative to, you know, not only what's going out in the market, but then also specifically to the client that we're talking to. Um, obviously the advice for someone who's, you know, 35, 40, 45 years old and accumulating wealth is going to be different for someone who's 65 or 70 and starting to decumulate and, and really get their money back from all the savings that they've accumulated over the years. So it's really relative to the individual. Um, you know, as I'd said before, the first place that we would want to start is understanding expenses. So we see the largest amount of leakage there. And ironically enough, a lot of it's to dining out and entertainment, um, Amazon, you know, the things that we all spend money on, but we really have no idea how much. Yeah. Do you recommend like an account structure for people to kind of get a better handle on that or using different, I know there's a bunch of different applications, Mint, uh, yeah. I, I need a budget, like those sort of things. Mint's a great one. Um, you know, mint.com uh, is something that people can plug their information into. It syncs up um, and then you can actually see it can't change what you've done, but it's a you know heightened awareness out around what you might want to do the following month or, or following six months. Um, once you kind of know, like you were saying, once you know what's going on, then you can ac actually apply the change to that. Um, but Mint's a great one from a basic budgeting perspective. Um, you know, that's that's a good place to start. But again, it goes back down to, you know, there's no, going to be no sexy commercials about understand your expenses because, you know, companies can't make money on that. Um, it's really something that we should really understand at the individual level um, and understand what your capacity to save is. Um, you know, I've seen people who make $200,000 a year as a, as a household and have a lot of money because they've done a great job of saving. I've seen other people who make five or $600,000 as a household and are in debt because they have no concept of what they should be doing. They're just spending, you know, because they don't feel like they have to monitor it and they're actually going the wrong direction. Right. Um, well, that's, and that's the paradox, right? And, and we'll get into the whole fitness scene, but, um, cause I know that's something that's near and dear to you, but like, that's, that's the analogy I always like to make is like, if you can't develop some basic habits and, and behavioral change with 30 minutes to give to exercise, it's like, what makes you think that like, when you magically have three hours, you're just going to start turning into this freak athlete and like <laughs> eating perfectly. It's like, it doesn't work that way. You know, and right. the same is true. It's true for saving. Um, yeah. One of the things I was going to bring up was I, I read a book called uh, The Psychology of Money. And, and really the, what the, the whole premise of the book more or less was that our psychology of money is basically onboarded to us when we're really little based on our experiences of our parents and the era that they went through. Um, so that kind of lends itself to what you were saying, how, you know, your advice about money and the right advice is highly dependent on the timing. Um, and, you know, how much of that do you see coming from clients coming you know, to you with these preconceived notions around money that maybe they onboarded when they were little. It's exactly right. I mean, your, your preconceived notions about money are built from what you hear when we're growing up. And, you know, let's be, let's be honest. Most of our parents don't talk to us about money in a way that's going to help us down the road. Um, you know, and we all, all as advisors talk about budgeting and things like that, that are at the base level, but it gets more complicated the more money you have. Nobody's going to tell you when you're you know, 10, 11, 12, 15, 18, 22, how to deal with money once you have it. 
that's a whole different ball game. Um, and you know, I remember when I started my career, interest rates were, I don't know, five, six, seven percent, whatever they were, and everyone wanted to pay their house off. And I and I didn't understand why. And then, you know, it came to be very obvious that that their parents said, you know, we really need to pay our house off. Well, the, the interest rates that their parents were accustomed to were substantially higher, you know, 15, 14, 13% as opposed to where we are today. Um, that's kind of fizzled as that generation has has aged aged out for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean, you see a lot of, you know, people's habits or ideas about money, they come from the previous generation and they just pick up these little tidbits. Um, you know, what I hear now is, you know, what's your fee? It's like, well, I haven't even told you what I do yet. We should probably talk about that. <laughs> um, cause everybody in this industry has obviously a fee. We, we charge for what we do. Um, but everybody's outcomes and results and focus is going to be different. So, you know, that, that concept of, you know, you get what you pay for is a little bit lost in the Walmart generation. It's more about what, what it costs as opposed to what you get. So. Sure. Well, I mean, that, that helps you in your vetting process too, of knowing totally. the types of people that you want to work with. I mean, we deal with the same thing at the gym. If people yeah. show up and want to know price immediately, it's like, this probably isn't the right gig for you. Right. Um, but look, I mean, that's, you, we can't, you know, we're, we're, we're for anyone. We're not for everyone. There you go. I yeah. like that. Um, so just to pivot back off of that, you know, there was a, another book that I read, um, and I'm, this is like probably one of the most popular ones, rich dad, poor dad. And, and in the book, it, it had talked about how one of the most like a, a transformative experiences for kids of parents that are millionaires or are, are like very well, have a very like strong wealth mindset and are good with money. It's not even seeing the, the direct, uh, like behaviors and things attributed to the actual spending and usage of the money. It's actually in the behaviors of watching what that person does and doesn't do outside of everything with money. So for instance, it's like seeing what they do with their time and their energy and how like they allocate those things, you know, throughout their life. And I think that this is important because, you know, one of the things that you and I have in common is that we both come from like a very strong fitness background and make that uh, a really big part of what it is that we do. So um, how do you think that that ties in, in terms of the core values that people have? Do you see this transferability from people that uh, have a background where they, they, they genuinely value their, their health and wellness, and then it kind of helps them see money through a different lens? It's interesting. So, you know, I would say that I think that we're probably anomalies with the amount of focus on health and wellness and fitness, um, comparatively speaking, uh, to at least my generation. I'm 45. You know, most of the folks I work with are uh, my age or older. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the fitness mindset has become more and more prevalent amongst my generation and below as opposed to my generation and up. Um, that being said, for what it's worth, most of the clients that I work with are in relatively good shape, uh, meaning that they're not eating fast food all the time. And, you know, they, they don't have, uh, you know, they're not extremely overweight. You know, that's that's really, I think, one of the characteristics that, that does come along with being more disciplined with money is being more disciplined with self um, and staying away from those things. So, you know, I don't see it as much. I think I'm seeing it more. Um as, as I see younger folks really coming up as far as wealth goes. Um, but the older generation, it doesn't seem to be quite as prevalent um, mm. as it is amongst the generation as to where we are and down. Wasn't it ironic how like when we're younger, 
the only thing we really want is money. And when we're older, the only thing we really want is youth. <laughs> it's like, that's like such an interesting paradox, you know, like people get older and they, they have more money naturally by the fact that they've just had more, more time in their life to actually be able yeah. to accumulate it. But like, meanwhile, what they're thinking about is how nice it would be to be 25 again. I mean, I, I have this conversation with one of my buddies who's 20 years older than me. He's like, you can have all my money. I'll take your 20 years. Um, and it's really true because we don't, we don't really even appreciate time. I don't think until we start to get older and realize that it's limited. Um, you know, we feel that when we're young, we're invincible. Time is unlimited. You look at somebody that's 50, you're like, wow, that person's a little bit older. And you know, now my mom, my mom's 80, my dad's 74. And I'm like, wow, I don't view them as being that old, so to speak. But you know, time, unfortunately for all of us is, is limited. And you would definitely rather have that than money, no matter what quality time, of course. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But that's, I mean, I would argue that that's what fitness allows you to have is more quality time. I think it was on one of Peter Atia's podcasts. He was talking about how, you know, in order to be able to, a lot of people think that when they retire, they're going to travel all over the place. And he's like, just think about what it takes to be able to do like a month long excursion to Italy. Like the mm -hmm. amount of bags that you have, the luggage yep. you're dragging around, all like transferring all things walking. in and out of cars, all the walking. Like I think people take for granted that like that requires a higher degree of physical capacity. And, and like, yeah. you know, we, when you're 25 and you're fit, it's just like, yeah, you should be that way. Right. When you're 35 and you're fit, it's like, Hey, good job. Like you're, you're holding up your end of the bargain. When you're 45 and you're fit, it's like, okay, cool. Like you're a standout when you're 55, 65, 75 and fit. It's like, okay, now you are the absolute 1% of the 1%. <laughs> so true. Yeah. I follow uh, some of David Sinclair stuff too, about, mm. you know, longevity and, and, you know, what kind of hacks and tools can you use? Cause this is really a new space. Um, but you know, the, the idea around longevity and quality um, is, is relatively new, but it's really catching on because, you know, people don't want to just be slobs at, you know, 70 and not be able to do anything or not be here for that matter. It's, it's important now people are seeing the value in it, which is crazy to even think. Um, but you know, my parents' generation, it was McDonald's was new and cigarettes were fun. So that's what they did. So, yeah. And unfortunately, like we're not wired to think 40 years down the road, you know, like a thousand years ago, our lifespan was like 25, 30, <laughs> right? So, so everything was very much so like, what can you see directly in front of you? Um, you know, otherwise it were, you were just living this, like this, this mist that like, you, you didn't really care what happened a year from now because you didn't even know if you were going to still be around, you know, and yeah. like, obviously to some degree or another, that's still a, a possibility, but less and less of a risk now. And it's like, like we, we, we have a hard time understanding the compounding effects that time has on us. So it's like, oh, I'll get fit in five years. You know, like, oh, when the kids grow up, I'll get fit. You know, and it's next thing you know, you're 55 and your joints are falling apart. You've got, you know, osteopenia and like you're a mess. And it's like, unfortunately, yeah. one of the things with physical health is that like, it's not like money. Like you can hit it big at 55 and start a business or cash in on the right investment. You can't cash in on the right health investment. Like if your health no. went to shit, you are done. You know, like yeah. you, it's not like you can't make any impact, but like your abilities really to, to like truly influence your long-term health starts when you're young. Yeah, completely. Consistency is everything. And you know, it's, it's amazing how much um, that really pays off in the long run. So what about you? I mean, you've been in the fitness space so long. Have you seen the temperature change as far as the clients that you work with and the people that come in? Is Are you seeing it shift in any way or has it been kind of a, a linear progression? I love it when people ask me questions on my own 
podcast. Um, it's perfect. I love it. Uh, let's see. Let's dive down this rabbit hole. So, um, you know, I would say that, that from an informational standpoint, I think people are becoming more aware of that they should be doing something and when they're older. Because if you think about it, 10, 15 years ago, people would go to the doctor and the doctor would be like, hey, you should probably start thinking about doing X, Y, and Z. And be like, yeah, doc, I got it. They go home, they try a few things for a week. They're like, this is annoying. And then they just move on. Right. So I think informationally, we are doing a better job of educating people. I also think that we're seeing more market saturation of more niche down experts. So you're seeing people that have expertise in working with people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and so on. Um, people that are working with people for different specific reasons. So I think that we are seeing greater opportunity as a whole for older populations to find something that works well for them. Mm -hmm. On the younger front, it's hard, right? Because I think it falls into camps. Like we've had experiences of going inside of these middle schools to go run a CrossFit class for a, uh, like a middle school gym class. And mm -hmm. you have like 40% of the kids aren't, they're either not dressed or are like crying because they don't want to participate or are like running away from the instructors. And, wow. and like, I just look back and maybe it's just a problem with my memory. Like we, you know, we know that memories are not that reliable, but like, I don't recall people being kids being that against gym class when I was in school. Right. So there's that end of it. I do think that, you know, sports are as popular as they've always been. And the kids that are, that generally fall, on the athletic spectrum, uh, they're going to be inclined to do more physically fitness related things. I mean, I played, I played video games and did all that stuff when I was a kid too. You know, obviously didn't, it uh, wasn't to the extent that it is nowadays or to the same degree, but like we all played that stuff. We had Nintendo, right. we had Nintendo 64 and Dreamcast and all those, those fun gaming systems. So it's not like we didn't have any of that. Sure. We didn't have the cell phone to, to gaze into four hours a day. Um, but I do think kids now have some more distractions than yeah. we had growing up. And I think that sometimes that does limit the amount of like outdoor play and just like general curiosity uh, in terms of their physical capacity, mm -hmm. um, how that translates over or how that will translate over into when they're 25, 35 and 40. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's, that's a hard hypothesis to make. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, I, if, if you, you know, comparatively speak that to our industry, our parents had access to things like pensions. So they weren't forced to be quite as disciplined with their savings. Um, you know, my generation is sort of in the middle where some have pensions, many don't. It's probably down to, I think the number is now 8% um, have access to a pension. For those that don't know, pension is money that you get when you retire from the place that you used to work. It was super expensive to fund a pension. State employees still have pensions. Um, but, you know, the companies like Ford and GM that used to afford their employees pensions, it's because they had so much money. They wanted to reward their employees. Um, now companies are so driven by the bottom line and their stock price that that's one thing that has, has pretty much fizzled. Um, but now it also forces greater discipline, uh, greater self-discipline to save for something that's potentially 40 years away in some cases, like we were saying before. So yeah, the, the, it's, this is where the entrepreneur side of me wants to come out because, you know, I, I'm, I work with a number of different mentorship groups and am involved in different masterminds and, you know, 
I see it from the non-traditional side of like people went the heck with that. Like, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm going to go run this online program and make 40 K a month, you know? And it's like, that starts to become, it's, it's a bit in the face of like the traditional saving strategies. Because again, like with, with things like social security, which we don't know is still going to be around and to what degree to, to some of these, um, as you were mentioning, like, you know, pensions and, and those things, those are far, and you can speak to this, like the, we're not seeing the same degree of those in terms of what's being promised when people actually retire, if you're a police officer, work as a teacher and those sort of things. So it's like, there's these non-traditional routes that people are being able to find either some sort of like, not passive income, but like it's, it's less active income, right? Or getting involved with doing something on their own from like an entrepreneur standpoint to create these online programmings. Like we, we have more opportunity than we've ever had in our entire lives Tremendous. to create something literally from the comfort of our own home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and some people enjoy the, you know, going to work and having someone, someone tell them what to do and, and that's what they're comfortable with. But, you know, if you're going to go out and write your own script, um, it takes a lot more effort. It takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more patience, trial and error, bravery, um, uh, extremely, you know, absolutely. And it's one of those things that, you know, you're not going to have instant gratification. You go to work and two weeks later, a paycheck shows up. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, the entrepreneurial mindset really needs to get beyond. And I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of our clients that are entrepreneurs do, do very, very well. Cause if you're not, you fail and you go back, fall back into a job. And I mean, it, you're not going to continue to do something that doesn't work. Well, and if you are task oriented, um, you can at the very least make sure that you're putting time and energy into the skill sets that are mo the most scalable, right? So, and, and universally applicable, you know, it's like if you can sell and you can market, if you can lead, especially like lead a bunch of people, I mean, you, you can go anywhere. Yeah. And you got a good hook. I mean... And niches, the riches are in the niches, so they say. Um, yeah. you know, if you're working with a specific type of group that likes certain things and you like that thing too, you're never going to work a day in your life because you're going to enjoy what you're doing within that space. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm not at the facility as much right now just because I'm preparing for my daughter to be born here in the next couple of weeks. You might be one of the last podcasts that I actually record before that time. There you go. Uh, you're yeah, one of the last befores. Um, but I, I normally work with a lot of teenagers and, you know, they're, they're constantly talking to me about what it is they want to do. I think it's like something I heard a statistic, like something like 58% of teens believe they're going to be millionaires by the time they're 25. And then it's like actually less than 1%, uh, yeah. you know, fulfill that. But, you know, they're always asking me like, I want to make money. What should I do? And I'm like, you should increase your earning potential. Like go, go work for somebody that is light years ahead of you and say, I will work for you for free. I will do anything I can to provide value to you and your business. Teach me what you know. All right. And, and it's like, whether you work for that person the rest of your life or not is irrelevant. What matters is that you are increasing your earning potential by developing skill sets that that person has proven are profitable. Yeah. I, and that's the other thing too. Like I didn't understand the value of uh, internships when I was younger and an internship can be a three month interview, or it can be, you know, setting the stage for you to learn about an industry that you otherwise wouldn't have access to, which could then, you know, catapult you into something else. And, you know, everything that when you talk to this younger generation, I hear anyway, it's all about get rich quick, get rich slow is, is out the window. I mean, and it's very possible to do it and it's very sustainable and it's very rewarding. Well, and it's like define rich, you know, like I think, you have to define what your rich life is. And, it, and 
working 80 hours a week for a financial firm on, you know, on Wall Street for 10 years, 15 years of your life, just so you can, you know, climb, <laughs> climb the ladder to get into the C-suite. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, that's not it for me. Like, I'm no. not doing it. I'm not playing that game. I'm not banging that drum. Yeah. So here's a good one for you. When, when I originally was sold on the idea of becoming a financial advisor, um, you know, it was all about working hard for five years and then being able to go to your kids, you know, baseball games, softball games, whatever it was that they played. Um, and I thought that was intriguing. And as time had gone on, um, I read a few things uh, along the way. I don't remember exactly where I pulled this from, but balancing work family and retirement every year has now become my goal. So, you know, why are we going to wait until we're 65 or 70 to retire and then try to, you know, go on a hike in Italy and not make it right. You know, what happens if we get hit by a bus tomorrow? Those are all things that you never want to really think about, but are very, very possible. So, you know, I've tried to balance the, the work, the home and the retirement every year now. Um, and it's, it's much more gratifying and satisfying um, I would, I would hope to say that my wife says the same things, probably not during that work time, but definitely during the other two. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's not what was traditional, you know, 30, no. 30 years ago. And I'm, listen, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. I think life does has have seasonality. And if, if you're starting a new company, starting a new career, you just had kids, whatever, right. There's a bunch of things that can pile more from one particular facet of your life onto your plate and can be unreasonable in terms of your ability to sustain it forever. Right. right. But as long as you know, this is a 90 day sprint, or I just got to get through this, this next six months. It's like, as long as there is a, a both a, a finish line and it's defined, it's like, okay, cool. Now we can, and there's a reason why you're doing it. Right. Exactly. But I, I think, yeah, you hit the, 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 um, the nail on the head there. Like it's, it's the ability to define what like a, the good life looks for you now, and then consistently work towards that, you know? And, yeah. Uh, one of my my uh, mentors, his name's Chris Cooper, so he owns Two Brain Business, which runs, it's like the biggest gym mentorship company in the world. He he said he was like on vacation with his wife and he had said something, you know, to the effect of like, you know, I'm starting to think about when I might retire. And she kind of laughed at him and she's like, retire from what? You know, and like his whole thing is like he has more than enough money that he knows what to do with and, and you know, gives a lot of it away. And he's constantly creating stuff because he's an entrepreneur, right? Like that's just what he's going to want to do forever. And I think that that for me really set the message of like, find the thing that you want to do forever rather than the thing that you want to retire from. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense to me, you know, and if you were on an assembly line for Ford or GM, that's something you would definitely want to retire from. Um, the monotony that comes along with that, those, those guys and, and girls made a bunch of money because they knew that the job was so monotonous that it's not very rewarding. Um, you know, that's what I say. You, you find something you like, you'll never really work a day in your life. So. Yeah. Very, and if, I mean, people true. are worried about the being replaced by machines and it's like, or just like upgrade your skills so that the machine can be, you can delegate to the machine, right? It can be complementary to the other things that you're doing. That's, that's something that happened in our uh, industry about five to 10 years ago. There was something called robo advisors that, um, you know, came into the space. And it was one of those things where, oh, well, these robo advisors are going to replace, you know, financial advisors and financial planners. Um, but, you know, I always use the analogy when we do a plan for somebody, we input all this data. Right. And that's what the robo advisor does. It gathers the data and it puts it together, um, which I compare that uh, analogously uh, analogy wise to an X-ray. 
So, you know, that plan itself in the data is like the x-ray. The doctor puts the x-ray up on the screen and you all look at it and wait to see what the doctor is going to say. You're not going to read that x-ray without the doctor. You know, you really need to hear what they're going to say as far as what's wrong and what do you do to fix it. Um, and the same is really true in our space. You know, it's great that we've got these data aggregation tools that are out there. It just helps us do it faster. But at the end of the day, if I don't tell you what to do or somebody doesn't tell you what to do, what are you going to do? You're just going to stare at it. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very it's very true. And and they've helped cut down time. I mean, no doubt the the robo advisor and the, the the tools that are out there technologically have helped us cut cut down time to do our job more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's happening in the fitness space too, right? You're seeing all yeah. of these different analytical tools of like movement assessments and, and using videos and these different like data points to be able to look at like biomechanics. And it's like, look, the, all these things can be a friend to the coach, a friend to right. the gym owner, right? A, yeah. a friend to the ultimate mission of just like bettering people's lives, you know, with their fitness and with their nutrition, you know, like all of these tools are great. Like I have all of my clients using some sort of an app for tracking their nutrition. They use some sort of an app for inputting their, their training. So I can like take a look at it. And in the case that I, there becomes video software or AI available to help me, right. Be able to objectively look at their videos for the purposes of determining whether their mechanics of certain movements are good or not good. It's like, okay, well that's helpful, you know, right. um, but you're not going to rely on it. You know, yeah, it's, it's an added tool in your toolbox to to be better at what you do and be more valuable to your client. Yeah, absolutely. So you have been doing CrossFit for quite a few years now. How long have you been in it? Um, my first day of CrossFit was uh, Thanksgiving of 2010. And, uh, you know, I went in and I gave it a try for a special Thanksgiving wad. Um, and after I came home that day, I didn't move from the couch because I uh, <laughs> I was pretty wiped out. And I, I looked for CrossFit stuff on my phone for the four hours, five hours following the class before I ate Thanksgiving dinner. And, uh, I was hooked that day. Um, you know, what were you doing before athlete, CrossFit? Uh, trying to run away from the dad bod. So, um, I had played, you know, sports in high school, played soccer in college. And then after that I was playing rec league soccer, um, you know, in leagues, Newcastle County leagues and whatnot, but there was nothing really that was competitive beyond that. Uh, hired a personal trainer, not that I needed to really have a trainer so much as I needed the accountability to do something harder than what I was doing than other than quote unquote maintaining, which is really all it was back then, which I really wasn't maintaining anything. Everything was going in the wrong direction. Um, but then after I found CrossFit, I was like, this is perfect. Somebody tells me what to do. Um, I work really hard and I try to try to beat everybody else and myself at the same time. And uh, that was about as <laughs> about as barbaric as it was back in 2010. So. Yeah, you and I entered the scene probably right around the same time. I wanted, I was 2009. It's it's really hard for me to remember exactly when, but sometime in 2009 is when I when I had found CrossFit and boy was it something it was something back then, you know, like <laughs> I don't care what sport background you had or how fit you were, uh your first exposure to CrossFit was a, was an awakening like no other. I got my ass handed to me. And then the second day, you know, we went uh, we were outside and we were running hills and we were doing this and we were doing that. And I remember there was, it was, there were three people in the very, very back. Um, it was myself. It was a gentleman who was 52 years old and it was a gentleman who was 300 pounds. And I'm like, all these other people are just straight kicking my ass. And, you know, you've got a 40 year old woman at the time. You've got this, you know, 28 year old girl who looked out of shape, but was just 
built differently comparatively speaking to where I was. And I'm like, how is this even possible? Um, and I remember my coach at the time was like, there's two people that come here, people that say, I'm going to be like that, or they come here, they see what happens and they quit. You figure it out. Um, and I was like, well, I want to be up there. I mean, yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> so I was hooked. It was so awesome. over the last, uh, you know, what, 13 years or so, how has fitness evolved for you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. So, you know, it went from trying to grasp to your roots of competitiveness and really, you know, I can be the best and I can make the CrossFit games and this and that and the other. And, uh, it's evolved to be really, um, you know, something where I see it as a longevity tool more than anything else. Um, I still do local competitions and, you know, try to be competitive for my age. I'm never going to the CrossFit games. Um, but that's, that's okay. I've come to terms with that. Um, I've had injuries. I've had shoulder, I've had hamstring, I've had, you know, forearm, ankle, you name it. And it's, it's happened. And I figured out how to work around it. And now it's become more important that I can continue to go than it is that I beat people. Um, of course I enjoy beating people, but you know. <laughs> yeah, like you never lose, like quite lose the competitive edge. No, you yeah. never do. No, yeah. but I mean, I think what, what you spoke to there is like the importance of, of keeping the capacity alive, right? Like I yeah. always tell people like, it's important to be able to deadlift heavy. It's not important to deadlift heavy all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be able to go up steps in that trip in Italy and get to the top of the steps and not feel like I'm dying. You know, that's, that's really where, where I am at this point. And it's just so happens that after doing it for all these years, um, it's given me that opportunity, but I'm just like everybody else, right? I'm not perfect all the time and I fall off and I'll have a drink here or there or whatever the case may be. And I realize, Oh, well, you know what? Hey, that, that's not going to help you. That's not going to serve you. And sure enough, I wake up, you know, the next day, the next week or whatever. And I don't feel as good. I don't, my whoop tells me that my recovery wasn't as good. So there's always something that kind of, I've, I've surrounded myself with tools to keep me in check so that I don't get completely, you know, off the rails, so to speak. And, you know, I like the idea of being fit for an extended period of time and trying to live a long, healthy, fulfilling life. And so, right there, we have AI entering the chat again. Yeah, there you go. Yep. I'm, HRV I'm, is my friend. I love HRV. Yeah. Until you have a drink at 8 p.m., <laughs> like a drink at 8 p.m., right? Not even six, not four. No. It's like just yep. one drink at 8 p.m. And the next day it's like, yeah, you slept like crap. And you're like, yeah. damn it. Your resting heart rate was 10 beats higher than normal. Your HRV was 50% lower, um, but that's good accountability. You know what I mean? Oh, Maybe I don't sure. have that drink at, at 8 p.m. That one drink, is it even worth it, right? Yeah, so. I, um, I'm, I'm like almost nine months total now of not touching anything. I went in solidarity with my wife, and it's, uh, it's, I'll tell you what, I don't miss it. Like right now, I don't miss it in the slightest because like the thought – of waking up and having like an entire day be dedicated to just feeling like crap. I'm like, no. Nope, no thanks. No. Yep. Yeah. When my wife was pregnant, um, a lot, some of my buddies were like, Oh, you got a designated driver, this, that, and the other. I'm like, I I'm, I'm good. I mean, I didn't drink very much at all when she was pregnant. Um, and it was, it was a nice, it was a nice break. So oh, for sure. Well, and my wife's been very thankful. You know, she said like, I'm, this makes it that much easier for me not to desire that, you know, and it's yeah. Understandable. It, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So would you say that you, you know, obviously like the majority of your focus um, with Blue Rock is, is in having these conversations about people's finances. Does the, the fitness side of thing kind of sneak in for you sometimes with them? It's hard not to. I mean, health and wealth are so intertwined with one another. Um, you know, if you save all this money and at 55, you need to start worrying about your health. You've kind of shot yourself in the foot. 
So, you know, these things are definitely intertwined. Put yourself in a position to where, you know, you don't have to spend money on health, you know, to get healthy or, you know, cure an illness or whatever. Now, granted, anything can happen, but, you know, higher percentage chance if you're healthy throughout your life that your wealth is going to last longer. Um, it's also well known that, you know, higher socioeconomic scores have a longer lifespan than those that don't have a higher socioeconomic score. So, you know, it's it's very closely tied together. Um, and it, it's inevitable that it comes up if somebody says, oh, I've been trying this or I've been doing that. And I'm like, oh, really? Tell me about that. Let's, let's, let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, so. it's uh, look, I used to be like somebody that I wanted everyone to join a CrossFit gym. I wanted yeah. everyone to do like traditional strength and conditioning and like get out of this, like, you know, the, the curves or the Pilates or, you know, like I, I was like, no, 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 like you need to lift weights. And in, and in part, like in hindsight, I was, I was right. A lot of the times it was my approach that was wrong. And yeah. I've become like much more understanding of people wanting to be a bit more adventurous and try a bunch of things. And part of that has come through my own curiosity with movement and exploration and like finding the benefit in like, Hey, like you don't need to go on vacation and lift weights, but you can hike 50 miles. Like that's pretty freaking cool. You yeah. know? And like actually get to see stuff. And if you really want to make this harder, like throw a weight on your back. There you go. Um, so yeah, I, I think I've become like much more, not even tolerant, like accepting of just people seeking freedom of movement, you yeah. know, and like, and, and however they see fit or whatever, however they find that to be fun for them. Yeah. Well, and it, it's true too. I mean, you know, just like with money, if somebody does a really good job for 11 months of the year and they go out and they take a vacation and they basically wipe away one month's worth of saving, um, it's not the end of the world because they've done it 11 months correctly. So they're still moving in the right direction. Um, and, and that's the same thing with, with health, in my opinion, anyway, is as long as you're consistent over a very long period of time, you're going to end up in a better spot than most. So it's oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't think the best life is the person that is a hundred percent all in on their health and fitness. I, yeah. I don't like, I think it can be a great marketing tool. If you're somebody that is like, you know, has an online presence and is trying to sell a specific service, but like, right. I don't live my life like that. Like even now without having any alcohol included into the equation, it's like, I'm probably 80, 20, you know, I want to enjoy life. I want to go out. Right. I want to experience things. And I think sometimes people find themselves in this, I call it no man's land, right? Where it's like, they, they, they're trying to like lift for, I'm putting up air quotes for mm -hmm. everyone listening. Like, like they're trying to lift for hypertrophy and it's like, or you're maybe just doing an hour's worth of work at the gym. That's unnecessary because you're not <laughs> eating enough to be able to warrant that, right? Your age and, and like your genetic factors aren't putting you in a position to succeed right there. And like, maybe you could just reduce your volume by 40%, spend less time at the gym, be less banged up and still see the same results, but like without feeling like crap when you go home. <laughs> you know? So I think getting people into that mindset of like minimum effective dose with their training helps them just look at their fitness differently. It's true. It's true. There's a guy that I work with who uh, is really focused on his work. Um, and he kind of reorganized his life to get the most out of 30 minutes a day at the gym. And he's young, he's super fit, he's super dis disciplined and consistent. So, you know, as he's looking at his workouts, tracking, seeing what the opportunities are, seeing what the challenges are, he's just making adjustments as time goes by to maximize the output for himself. Um, and I think that, you know, that maintenance, whether it's for money or for health or for fitness or what have you, is, is a necessary part because the answer is not always going to be the same. You know, the answer is going to be different at different times for different people. So, sure. Well, and that so requires true. just a, a greater 
necessity to be intrinsic about like curious about what you actually want, you know, like what, what is fitness doing for you? Right. right. And if, and if it's like, well, you know, I, I want to be competitive within my gym or like, I want to train seven hours a week or whatever it is. It's like, okay, well, why do you want that? And it's like, as you start peeling away the layers, you start finding out that, that this is, this is driven out of like, some sort of an insecurity or an ego or like some sort of like identity crisis or like an identity they used to have or something that they, they want to try to attain that like they don't actually want, you know, it's somebody else's goal they're onboarding. So like I really try to do a good job with people of like helping them think a bit more um, critically about what it is they actually want and why they actually want it when it comes to their physical health. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a great place to start, you know, peel back the layers and, and you know, what's your why? It's a, it's a great place to start. Well, and I'm sure, look, as you get older, your why changes. Of course, hundred percent, you know, it starts out as look good naked and, it, and then it turns into don't die too soon. <laughs> yeah. And look as good naked as possible during that <laughs> yeah, whole journey. Along the way. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's always, that's buried in there somewhere, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, um, tell the audience a little bit more about, uh, where they can learn more about you and, um, find you on social media. Yeah. So. Um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, I, I think Instagram, I'm Todd XI. So Todd 11 used to be, still is my favorite number. So Todd XI there, um, Todd Roselle on, on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn's the same. And then Blue Rock FG. So if you have Blue Rock FG on any of those sites, whether it's the internet, Instagram, Facebook, you can find us there. Um, you can also find us in our three locations. We've got one that's in Rehoboth beach. We're right on route one. We've got one in Wilmington. Um, and nobody comes and stops by, but it's just more so you know where we are. And then, of course, on Zoom, everybody's on Zoom. We work with people nationwide through Zoom. So, um, you know, we we also wrote a book. So myself and a guy that I work with, Carter McClung, um, it's called Plan with Confidence. You can buy it on Amazon. It's pretty cheap, um, but it's really how we structure financial plans. So if somebody wants to do it themselves or they want to follow along, um, it's good. It's a good read if you're 15. It's a good read if you're 65. So um, it's just something that we put together because I felt that, you know, we really don't have good guidebooks out there. Um, and people don't really always know what to look at. So we just wanted to share some secrets and, and allow people to, to plug in maybe in a different way. So how hard was it writing a book? It was long, arduous, um, multiple, uh, edits. And then, uh, it got to the point where I, you have to put it away and have somebody else edit it because you're missing stuff. Um, but it was, it was challenging. And then at the end it's rewarding. So it's fun. That's amazing. Well, Hey yeah. Todd, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. And I knew, I knew we would, uh, have some fun conversation here around the, uh, the, the balance of finance and fitness and everything yeah. in between. Yeah. Derek, thank you. Keep going, brother. Yeah. Thanks. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.